reading from the Gospel according to John, chapter 4, verses 27 through 30, and verses 39 through 42. Just then, his disciples came. They were astonished that he was speaking with a woman, but no one said, what do you want, or why are you speaking with her? Then the woman left her water jar and went back to the city. She said to the people, come and see a man who told me everything I have ever done. He cannot be the Messiah, can he? So they left the city and were on their way to him. Verse 39. Many Samaritans from that city believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything that I have ever done. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them, and he stayed there two days. And many more believed because of his word. They said to the woman, it is no longer because of what you said that we believe. For we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this is truly the Savior of the world. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Holy Father, we come before you this morning, and we ask that you would give us ears to hear and eyes to see that what you have for us this morning, Lord, you would leave on our hearts. Would you speak to us? And may the words that I speak not be my own, but may they truly be the words that you have placed upon me. And we pray these things in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. On February 22 in 1980, the United States Olympic hockey team faced off against the Russians. Now, the Russians had won six out of the past seven tournaments. They were professionally trained, and the United States was composed primarily of collegiates. In fact, when the two teams met in exhibition play, the Russians crushed the United States 10 to 3. But as the tournament began, the United States surprised many teams by defeating some of the better teams in the tournament. And they advanced to the medal round where, of course, they faced the Russians. And as the game began, it went as expected. The Russians scored early and led the game for a while. But unexpectedly, the United States scored early as well, tying the game one-to-one. The first period proved to be somewhat of a scoring frenzy, and it ended with the score tied two-to-two. As the second period began, the Russians pulled ahead once more, 3-2. to two. They held that lead through the second period. And so as the third and final period began, the United States were backed up against the ropes. If they lost this game, their chance for the gold medal was gone. And so the tension in the arena was thick. Both teams played aggressively against one another. And unexpectedly, one more time, the United States tied the game early on in the third period. And at this point, both teams were beginning to realize what was at stake. And with 10 minutes left in the game, the absolute unthinkable happened. The United States captain, Michael Ruzioni, skated down the center of the ice, shot the puck on the Russian goaltender, and scored, giving the United States a 4-3 lead, a lead they would keep for the rest of the game. And as the final seconds ticked down off the clock, the broadcaster, Al Michaels, would give this very famous line, do you believe in miracles? Unbelievable. 
And this game impacted the entire nation, especially considering the political situation at the time between the United States and Russia. This game occurred during the thick of the Cold War. And so this game boosted the national morale, and it gave the Americans a sense of pride. And these types of stories, for them and for us, are stories that we, that we love. We kind of grab onto a story like this where the underdog comes out on top. And this type of a story, the feeling that you're given when you hear a story like this, where your expectations are one thing, and they are absolutely flipped around, that feeling really is the same type of feeling that we should get when we read or when we hear the gospel reading this morning. Because in this passage, the disciples ought to be the ones who are the good guys. They ought to be the ones who come out looking good. They're Jews, and they're the 12 men who are the closest to Jesus. Yet, they have somewhat of a bad light cast upon them. And it is the Samaritan woman who comes out being the exemplary one. John creates a striking, striking contrast between the disciples and between the Samaritan woman. The Samaritan woman encounters Jesus at the well, and Jesus begins to talk to her and reveal to her things about himself and about herself. And the fact that this conversation is even occurring is rather remarkable. For a Jew to associate with a Samaritan would make that Jew defiled and unclean. And to make the situation even more embarrassing, not only does Jesus speak with a Samaritan, but a Samaritan woman. Something unheard of for a rabbi to do. And yet, Jesus speaks with her, and as this conversation continues, Jesus tells this woman that he can offer her living water. Water that can forever quench her thirst. And predictably, the woman says, well, give me this water. And at first it would appear that she is envisioning a sort of physical water that will satisfy her physical needs. But as Jesus continues to talk, and as she continues to listen to the words of Jesus, her understanding and her demeanor are transformed. And the passage culminates in Jesus saying to her, I am indeed the Christ. And at this point, the disciples return from town. They had gone into town to get food. They return, and they see this conversation. And although they don't say anything to the woman or to Jesus, it's pretty clear that they're not entirely happy about this. And the woman leaves her water jar, and she goes into the city where she testifies on behalf of Christ. She tells the people there what she has heard from Jesus. This theme of testimony plays an incredibly prominent role in John's gospel. You can't miss it. That's what the gospel is about. We're introduced to it in chapter 1, in which John the Baptist is called the one who is to testify to the light that is to come into the world, Jesus. That is his main role in John's gospel, to testify to Jesus. And the theme continues on throughout the gospel, and, and Jesus himself is said to testify to the things that he has seen and to carry the very words of the Father. 
And so Jesus' words are trustworthy and reliable because they are the Father's words. And so these words emerge as being the paramount for belief in John's gospel. Belief must be centered in these words. Over spring break a few weeks ago now, I had the opportunity to do something I rarely get to do, and that is sit down and watch television. And so I got up early afternoon, I went downstairs, I turned on the TV and I began to flip through the channels. I came across my absolute favorite television show. How many of you have seen 24? 24. 24 is my favorite TV show, but I can't watch it on TV because every episode ends with you not knowing what's going to happen, and you have to know what's going to happen. So I hate to watch it on TV, but I did it anyways because it was break. And I happened to watch one of the first few seasons of 24, which in, one of, in, in these first few seasons, the President of the United States is a man by the name of David Palmer. The actor who plays David Palmer if you've seen the show, or if you have not seen the show, you may recognize from the Allstate insurance commercials. In these commercials, he's often seen walking around or by cars that have just gotten into an accident. And as the commercial comes to a close, he gives the famous Allstate model, you are in good hands with Allstate. The purpose of these commercials is to get you to purchase your insurance with Allstate because Allstate is presented as being reliable and trustworthy. You could have any insurance you want. You could get your insurance from any company, but if you get it from Allstate, then you know you can trust it and you can rely on it. And in the very same way, John says that we can trust Jesus' words because they're from the Father. These are not just any words, just as Insurance with all states, not just any insurance. These are the words of the Father. And so they are reliable and trustworthy. And the Israelites know this well. They know that God is a trustworthy God. They know he is a faithful God. They have heard the stories from their ancestors. They've seen the things that he has done in their midst. Yet, we cannot miss the obvious and the important fact that in John's gospel, it is the Jews who consistently refuse to listen to the words of Christ and instead look for something else. That thing that they look for, John calls signs. In chapter 2, Jesus turns water into wine at the wedding of Cana. And we are told that the disciples believe in him because of this sign. Further on in chapter 2, Jesus cleanses the temple. The Jews come to him and they say, well, what sign can you show us to prove your authority? Jesus says, destroy this temple and in three days rebuild it. And it's not until after the resurrection, that the disciples understand this. And in chapter 3, Nicodemus comes to Jesus. And Nicodemus says to Jesus, I know you must be from God because of 
the signs that you do. And Jesus begins to speak with him about what it means to be born again. And Nicodemus does not understand. He believes because of the signs, but when Jesus speaks about things beyond that, he does not understand. And so as chapter 3 comes to a close, before this encounter in chapter 4 with the Samaritan woman and Jesus, John tells us that whoever accepts the testimony of Jesus, the very words of Jesus, has eternal life. The disciples believed because of signs. The Jews believed because of signs. Nicodemus believes because of signs. But we come to chapter 4, and there is a rather dramatic silence of signs. And this is where we must pay very close attention to the text. Because John is very intentional when he uses the word signs. He will let you know if he wants you to consider something a sign. And in chapter 4, there is no such sign. Jesus does not miraculously turn the well water into wine. He does not fill the woman's cup with water. He performs no flashy sign or wonder. Rather, he talks to her. He speaks to her. And on the basis of his very words, the woman goes into town and testifies on his behalf. And this is where the passage, if you were a Jew reading this, gets incredibly uncomfortable. And it ought to for us as well. The disciples have gone into town and nobody has heard about Jesus. But the Samaritan woman, the Samaritan woman goes into town and many people hear about Jesus. The disciples go into town to buy food, but the Samaritan woman goes into town bringing them the words of one who can satisfy all of their needs. How can this be? The disciples have heard the testimony of John the Baptist. They've heard the words of Jesus himself, and yet they still look for something else. While the Samaritan woman has heard the words of Christ, and on the basis of those words, she has gone into town testified on his behalf, and the people there have believed her. So what is the difference? How can these responses, these actions, be so incredibly different? How can the disciples act in one way and the Samaritan woman in a completely different way? John gives two reasons that people believe. There are two prominent reasons in his gospel that people believe in Jesus. One of those is because of the signs that he does. People believe in Jesus based upon his signs. But there's another very important way that people believe, and it is the words of Christ. It is what he says that they believe in. And this is the fundamental, pivotal difference between the disciples and the Samaritan woman. The disciples believe because of signs, but the Samaritan woman believes in the very words of Christ. And because of it, she has been profoundly and radically impacted. Some of, some of you have grown up in the church 
You've grown up singing songs about Jesus, talking about saving souls. You've had the opportunity nearly every Sunday of your life to hear the Word of God preached, but you've never been changed by it. Your life is hardly different than any non-Christian. You have had the opportunity to hear the Word of God preached nearly every Sunday of your life, but you have never been changed by it. And your life is hardly different than any non-Christian. If this is the case, what is holding us back? Why have we not been changed by these words? What is stopping us? Some of us have fallen into the same mistake of the disciples. We believe because of signs. We look for signs. We want to see the things that God does rather than listen to the things that God says. And we look for things, these these flashy signs and wonders without realizing that it is in the power of the words of Christ that people are changed, that people are transformed. You have allowed your faith to be defined by signs. You must rid yourself of such a foundation. Believe in the very words of Christ and be transformed. Some of you have tied your faith so closely with your emotions. And so when you're having a good day, well, your spiritual life is good. When you're having a bad day, your spiritual life isn't so good. And because your life consists of this emotional roller coaster, your faith follows right with it. But what happens when the bad times come to stay for a while? You have no faith to sustain you because your faith has been so intimately tied with your emotions. You have defined your faith by your emotions. You must rid yourself of such a foundation. Listen to the very words of Christ and be transformed. And finally... Finally, some of you have unrealistic expectations. You've been told that if you believe in Christ, you'll have materialistic success. You're going to get an A on your test this week because last week you fasted. If you're heading out into the business world, you're going to make a lot of money because God financially prospers those who obey him. You have allowed your faith to be defined by these unrealistic and inadequate expectations. Rid yourself of such a foundation. Believe in the very words of Christ and be transformed. Just as God created the world through his very words, so are we recreated through the words of the word of God. But we hinder that transformation and we refuse that grace that life-transforming grace of God, when we define our faith by these things that it ought not to be defined by. If we are to truly listen to the words of Christ, we must remove such foundations. We must remove lifestyles which do not conform to his teachings. We must listen to his very words, and in turn, we will be transformed. Pray with me. Holy and mighty God, 
We ask that this, this morning, this week, as we begin this week, that you would speak to us and that we would hear those words as we go throughout our day, whether it be from a friend, whether it be from a teacher, whether it be from your word itself. May we hear your voice speaking to us. And may it change us. May it prompt us to act in ways that we would never have thought of acting before. May we be a people who are wholly different because we have been impacted by your very words. And I pray these, name, these things in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Go now in peace to love and serve the Lord.